0: And it was what I saw next that was even more interesting. This big, beautiful facade that said, man, we've got a big church and a big, beautiful building. And behind it was just kind of like a metal building that really resembled one of the smaller barns on my uncle's property, okay? And nothing against metal buildings. Metal buildings are fine. It just didn't match. This big, grandiose facade. This big facade that announced one thing, and then what was behind the facade was something altogether different. And you know, I think all of us in our lives have the capacity to be similar to that church. Where what we show others by way of our curb appeal, it's a little different than what's actually happening in my life. Now I'm not saying today that all of that is entirely wrong in every situation because I know all of us, we want to put our best foot forward and, and uh, we, we want to make sure that we're representing ourselves well. So today I'm not talking about Uh, The fact that we should probably all stop showering and stop combing our hair and brushing our teeth. I I think there are some some important steps to take in terms of how we present ourselves to other people. But I want to talk today about an authentic life, especially when it comes to our faith. A a life that looks very similar from the outside and the inside. I'm talking about a life that it's not make-believe, it's not pretend, it's not a facade so we're continuing in this study we've entitled, In Joy, and we're talking in chapter 1 of Philippians about where joy comes from. And, and Paul has made the point that joy comes from knowing God, and, and joy comes from understanding our position in God. And, and then what we do is for God, by His power in our lives. And, and, and this study comes, as we've seen, from the Apostle Paul writing from an imprisoned situation in Rome to a church he had previously started in a city called Philippi, and if ever there was a a man that really appeared from what we know of him to be true through and through, to be the real deal, the real McCoy, as we might say, it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, He didn't seem to put on airs. He was a man who, although imperfect and not proud of his sin or imperfection, he was very honest about it, and he was a man that, that, that said the great victory in his life came as he died to self And came alive for Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, if there's any good thing in my life, it's not me that's doing it. It's just as I get out of God's way and let him use me in any way that brings pleasure to him. Paul's desire and Paul's aim and Paul's message was that people of faith, himself included, would be sincere in life. In fact, already in our study, before the verses we're going to look to today, Paul has made this point. In Philippians chapter 1. he he emphasizes in verse 10 that we're to be sincere. He said that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Paul said we're to be sincere, sincere. The word sincere comes from two words. They're the word sign and Sarah. And the story of that word, as I understand it, took place in marketplaces in that part of the world many years ago where people would bring their pottery to sell and and occasionally while making their pottery maybe they would uh, have an imperfection or maybe they would chip it on the way to the marketplace and and what they would do is they would take wax and they would rub it in the imperfections to make it appear as though it was something it wasn't. You would look at it and you'd say, man, this is perfect, when in reality it was, it was not. It was just filled with wax. And so they had a process whereby they would take the pottery and they'd let it pass through the heat. And they would allow the heat to melt the wax. The wax would be removed, exposing the pottery for being the fraudulent piece that it was. And if something passed the test, it was signed Sarah, it was sincere. And what it means is to pass through the heat. And Paul said that we're to live lives as Christians that have the capacity, yes, to do right in the good times, and the convenient times, but in the other times when our life is being passed through the heat, our beliefs and our behavior should still at that point match, should come together. Paul was teaching these people to live a life of integrity. And His words have a lot to teach us. And if you're able this morning, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to this passage, Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to be in these last few verses of the chapter. In fact, the first verse we're going to read, verse 27, is the verse from which our theme for the year as a church family comes. And Paul says here this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now I'm going to read on when the Bible says let our conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ we're going to elaborate on that and develop on it but but sometimes you'll see someone wear a certain color shirt maybe and you'll say man that color it becomes you becomes you what we mean by that is that that matches you that fits that looks good you'll you'll sometimes say of someone that's becoming on you and and so the Bible here when it says that our conversation is to be becoming uh, of the gospel what it means is that what we're communicating through our life it's matching there's congruence it's not hypocritical there's unity and so only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there's that expression, for the faith. And we've talked a lot about that, especially on some Sunday evening series, uh, services, for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and, and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That verse is mind-blowing. God's given us some gifts. We're grateful for that. We find mention of them, and and we find that uh, uh, we have a gift of salvation, but then we find in this verse, but also to suffer for his sake. Verse 30 says this, Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here, to be in me I want you if you would please go back to verse 27 and near the beginning of that verse is just that statement becometh the gospel becometh the gospel I want to ask this question today does your life becometh does it become the gospel if you were to proclaim the gospel message would it be becoming of you it would match and I want us to to look in the word today and see how we can understand a joy that comes from just living an authentic and sincere life. Lord, thanks for this day, for the good you've already done, and we ask you to work now in this service. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Apostle Paul's been writing to these people he loves, and again, he's been talking about the great value of having a relationship with God through faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, and finding our position, our identity in Him, and then doing what we do in life so that it would reflect Jesus Christ. And he comes to the end of this first chapter, and in verse 27, the first word is the word only. Now, every word is important. We've seen that. There are no unimportant words in the Bible. But as he comes to the end of this chapter, and as he begins verse 27, he uses the word only. And what he's doing is he's, he's saying, let me, let me boil this down to just one statement. Let me bring this down to just one thought for you. And so to them, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh. The gospel of Christ. He said, let me boil it all down for you. Do this one thing. Make sure that your conversation, it's reflecting Jesus Christ, that it's becoming of the gospel. Now, we use the word conversation. And for us, that might mean sitting down over a cup of coffee and having a good talk with somebody. That's what we think of when we hear the word conversation, just talking with somebody. And that's, that's certainly what it means. But, but there's a bigger sense to the word conversation. It deals with communication in all its various forms. And so sometimes that's by what we say. Other times it's by how we behave, how we respond. And I want you to know that you can go throughout the day and if you chose to use no words at all, you would still be communicating. You would still be saying things. You communicate values. You communicate what you like and what you don't like in a lot of. Nonverbal ways and so Paul is saying this in essence he said through all the different ways you communicate in your life make sure that your beliefs and your behavior are matching in fact there were even political ramifications in in this term conversation I'll develop it more when we get to the end of chapter three in Philippians where Paul tells us that our conversation is is in heaven but but there was an idea in this word that meant this everyone has certain expectations of behavior in their life based on where they're from their experiences their background and Paul writing to people presumably all of whom would have professed faith in Christ they were members of the church in Philippi he's writing to Christians in a church and he's saying in essence based on who you are and what what you know in Jesus Christ, make sure that your communication in life is consistent with what you know of Jesus. It's a pretty helpful statement. It's good to know that joy comes from uh, authenticity. But we find also in this passage really a great description on how this could be done. I'm talking today about an authentic faith life. And I want us to spend time in this study so that we can be helped as individuals and so that perhaps the Lord could allow this truth to, to go through us, to help others. And if you have your notes nearby, and I'm going to encourage you to do so, I want us to begin our study today, and we'll look to Paul's words here, the Word of God, and, and see that Paul teaches us that authentic faith is seen in our consistency, in our Consistency. We know that Paul was removed from this group, which is why he's writing a letter. He wanted to be with them. He couldn't. Uh, prisoners don't have the option of saying, hey, I'm going to be away for a few days. Uh, keep my bed warm. I'll be back. He, he didn't have that prerogative. He, he wanted to be with them, but he could not because he was in prison. They were in Philippi, hundreds of miles away. And so he says in our passage, as we begin it together, he said this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. He said that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast. Paul was saying this, hey, I'd like to be there. I can't. He'd already said I'll come when I, when I can. I just can't be with you right now. But he said, I hope your life is the kind of life that it's lived right whether I'm there looking over your shoulder or not. I hope that your behavior and your beliefs are matching whether I'm there to check up on you or not, that you're doing right, understanding you should as a, as, a, as a child of God. And, and friends, I want you to know this is one true sign of maturity in life and one true sign of integrity in life. And you need to understand this. Maturity in life has nothing to do with how many years you've been on this planet. We've all met some young people that really, they demonstrated great maturity. And we've probably met some older people who've been on the planet a long time that in many ways were were really immature in life. And so I'm not speaking to you in terms of your age today. I am saying this, that as we come to understand what an authentic faith is and as it brings a consistency in our lives, we therein find maturity. We find integrity. When we do right, regardless of who is watching, we are living a consistent life. No burst of activity in one area or one moment of life can make up for inconsistencies in another area of life. In fact, sometimes it even makes it worse. To help you understand this, I'll just share an example with you. I remember an occasion years ago, I was... I was teaching on the family and on the home, and I, I made the statement that I felt that parents should do their very best to give their children direction and to lead them to the Lord and, and to encourage them to do what's right. And, and I used this as uh, an example in that message that, that uh, we're, we're communicating to our children our view of the things of God by, by how we lead them. And I said that uh, it's good not even to have your kids out of church they need to be in church. And, and you're saying those things are more important. And, and, and after the service, someone came up to me and they let me know they disagreed with my, with my sermon. And I've got to tell you, I've disagreed with some things I've said before looking back on them. All right. And so I'm always open to, hey, I don't know about that or what do you think about that. And, and, um, and so someone said, I, I disagreed with you. And I'd heard things like that before. And I said, all right, well, what do you got? And, and uh, the explanation that I received went this way well spiritual matters are very personal and i think it would not be helpful or healthy for a parent to to encourage a child in one way over another, to push them one way or another. And, and so really, I don't, I don't ever want to tell my children what it is they need to do in relationship to spiritual things. I want them to come to that conclusion for themselves. And the, the statement was given with such clarity, and it was articulated so well, I thought, wow, that was, that was very well put. And, and I thought on this statement that was put very well, and I came to the conclusion, it was ridiculous. The more I thought on it, I thought, you know, that's got to be on the list of some of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. Every good parent knows you have to tell your kids what to do. And every parent understands at the end of the day, they're all going to do what they want anyhow. We understand that. They're going to grow to a point where they're going to make decisions for themselves. And, and so maybe you're here today and, and you're raising kids. You've got to tell them what to do. And maybe you've got children that, that have been raised. They're adults now. They're going to make decisions on their own. We, we all understand that. But we have to give direction to people. I think if we never made our kids take a bath i I probably wouldn't have bathed my entire childhood you know Uh, if it was green i didn't want to eat it and i needed to all right i would have never studied i wouldn't wouldn't have gone to bed at a good time i i mean think of it if i'd have been left to my own devices in every area of life i would have absolutely ruined my life yet in the most important area of life spiritual areas we would say well i i don't want to i don't want to tell my child what to do in that area The Bible does say Deuteronomy 6 7 and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. and Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. The Bible there is speaking of the word of God and speaking of parents, the the, the role of parents to teach their children all in the course of life. But I want you to imagine the damage that would be done to a child uh, if their parent told them to do one thing and absolutely went the other way or to use the analogy paul's using here if if they went to church made their kids go and they were hey brother and boy isn't this great and let's praise god together and then and then they go over here with these people and uh they're not praising god they're taking his name in vain and and living a life that's inconsistent with with all that went on over there If a if a child saw an abject poverty in the hearts and lives of the parents How many of you think that would mess with that kid's head? It caused a little confusion. He wouldn't understand what's going on now I, I don't think our children expect us to bat a thousand in fact I've had to teach my children before personally by way of example how to say sorry because I've blown it. I've had to do that. I don't think our children are expecting absolute perfection. But friends, I know this and I want to emphasize this. If we're living a hypocritical life, our influence will be diminished to almost nothing. People can stand a lot of different things. But if they think someone is being insincere or a fake or a phony, the opportunity to help is almost completely removed. I'm not advocating compromising truth to accommodate our shortcomings. What I am saying is this. The most joy-filled homes that I've seen are the ones led by people who know the truth and teach the truth and live the truth. Not perfect people, but people who have beliefs and behavior that match, that deportment, the way we live life. It's consistent with what we would We would believe. I I like the way Luke introduces Jesus in the book of Acts. He just kind of opens in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. So he's talking to this guy, and, and he said, This is of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And what I love about that verse is the reality that that which Jesus did and that which he taught were one and the same. There was never an occasion where he encouraged other people to do something that he wasn't doing in his own life. and There weren't occasions where he was doing things in his life that he would have been embarrassed or ashamed to teach. There was, there was a, a oneness in it all. I love that. Living a consistent life, it's not an easy thing, and it takes work, and it's it is, however, superior to the life that's unstable. And the hypocritical life is a life that has its own difficulties that come along with it. James, the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he he said some things. And by the way, how many of you think if anybody knew of the sincerity in the life of Jesus Christ, it would have been his brother? I mean, I don't know what one brother would have to do to make another brother call him Lord, all right? But Jesus apparently had a life that matched his message. So James says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, the man who's one way here with these people and another way here with these people and telling this one to do that while doing the opposite over here. And there's an instability that comes in life when we're double-minded minded in authentic faith is seen in our consistency but there's a second element in this passage i want us to see authentic faith is seen in our cooperation the heart of authentic faith in jesus christ it has really one main objective and this one main objective is to make much of jesus christ to make his message known conversely the flip side of this i mean if our one main objection is to uh, objective rather is to make much of jesus christ Conversely, it also means we are to make less of ourselves. And that's a, that's a job in the course of living the Christian life, reducing self, putting self down. Many of you will remember a man in the, in the gospel accountings, a man by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was someone that knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. In fact, they were related. And, and John the Baptist had the unique role of, of being the one that came before Jesus' ministry to announce to everybody, hey, he's coming. God the Son is coming, Jesus Christ is coming, and he had, he had an amazing ministry. Of John the Baptist, Jesus helped us to understand some things about his life. Jesus said this, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women. Now, if you were born of a woman, say amen. All right, Jesus here is spreading the net pretty wide, okay? All right, so of you humanoids that came by way of birth, all right? Uh, Of those kind, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Jesus Christ is saying, John the Baptist was a great man. Man, he's just top shelf. None better than John. He was a great man. And then John went on to say this. This was the spirit. He said, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase. And John said, but I must decrease. Decrease. The influence, the role, the work of Jesus in my life and through my life must, must increase. But I, personally, myself, I need to be put, put down. If we have an authentic faith life, we'll be always more happy when we're cooperating with other people who want to make much of Jesus Christ. President Truman is credited with making this statement. He said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit And John the Baptist was exemplifying a life that said, you know something, it's not about me, it's not about mine, it's about Jesus. I need to decrease so that he can increase. It's not about my glory, it's not about my objectives, it's not about all my personal goals and plans in life, it's all about Jesus and his name getting out there. And John said, joy for me in life comes when I think a whole lot less of John the Baptist and think a whole lot more about Jesus Christ working together. He calls us to serve in the cause of Christ. Paul said this, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I want to say something, Coastline. It's a wonderful thing when people of faith can come together with an attitude that acknowledges, hey, it's not about any one of us. It's about him. And let's work together to get more done than we could ever accomplish working as a collection of individuals. Let's be a team the psalmist in Psalm 133 and verse 1 had a truth we need to get a hold of he said behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity it is a good thing when people can come together and say hey we agree Jesus is Lord and we have a goal that we share it's the objective of Jesus Christ there is joy in serving with the family of faith and I'm going to say something right now that is absolutely true you can take it to the bank there should be no shadow of doubt as to what it is i'm about to say i get it wrong sometimes but in what i'm going to say right now there will be nothing wrong at all in it and what i'm going to say is this there's no perfect people at coastline starting with the guy on the platform but i want to add to that this the happiest people i've seen at coastline are those that know jesus christ and find joy in their position in him and do what they do in life not for personal aggrandizement or glory but because that's what they believe the lord would have them to do and they work together with other people there's a camaraderie there's a brotherhood found in serving within the body of jesus christ and i believe it is life-changing it's important to understand that if you are a christian you've been created with certain gifts and abilities every one of you have them God's put you together in a unique way there are things that you can do that others can't do the same way you can you have a unique gift mix in your life you are uniquely you God made your body just the way it is and that includes your mind and how it all goes together but God has also used an analogy to refer to the church as of a body just as each of us as an individual have a body the Bible shares that when we come together and worship God we constitute the body of of christ and friends i want you to know something when you are a part of the body of christ you get to employ your gifts and your talents and your abilities you you bring your uniqueness to the overall team and we are more by far when you are here and i want you to know when you are not here we aren't all We could be God's design is that if we had an authentic faith, we could rally together around Jesus Christ, eliminating some of the the pettiness and just say the goal here is to do what God would have us to do. Let Let us work together. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this. He said, now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. If there's an underemphasized doctrine in our day, it possibly could be that the, that the underemphasized doctrine is the doctrine of the local church, the local New Testament visible church. Paul was writing this letter to those in Philippi. That was a church. He's written other letters to Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia, local churches let me tell you what coastline is it's a local church it's a local body of called out believers who come together because we share faith in christ and to carry out the commands of the great commission and friends i want you to know something we are the body of christ at coastline and we are to be members in particular in other words there's a place for everybody here we're to work together God's desires that lost people would become saved, they would be Christians, but God's design for Christians is that we would live life within the context of the local church. If you're here today and you don't have a local church, you need one. You need one. Don't look for a perfect one, there is no such thing. And if there was, your becoming a member would make it immediately imperfect, okay? We know how that works. You need a local church. This is God's desire. It's God's plan. It's the way we're to come together to serve Him. We're to be members in particular. Now, you can apply this to your your family and your job and so forth. When you get a group together that is full of selfishness, you're going to have infighting. You're going to have posturing. It'll be a highly politically charged environment where everyone's trying to get up one and put others down. But when you have a group that comes together that shares a goal and finds their place, they know their role on the team, That's a great thing. Solomon in the book of Proverbs made a statement that's very convicting. In Proverbs 13, he said this, Only by pride cometh contention. That's it. I mean, have you had a conflict in the last week? Pride was the source, and probably pride in your heart, and boy, that's true for me. Only by pride comes contention. Men, you cannot have an argument with your wife without pride being the root of it. Isn't that a bummer? (laughs) Only by pride. That's it. Contention only comes by pride, but with the well advised is is wisdom only by pride comes contention. But when we decide to cooperate, we can find find a unity. It's an old story, but I, I like to tell it. So I shall now tell it once again to our church family. It's the story of Linus sitting in the room watching TV and Lucy walks in and tells Linus change the channel. And Linus says, what, what makes you think you can walk in here and tell me to change the channel? And Lucy said, this hand. She said, together, these these fingers are nothing, but when they come together like this, they are a weapon mighty to behold. (laughs) And of course, Linus says, which channel? You know, that was his response to Lucy. But in the last frame in that is Linus, and he's looking at his hand and he's thinking, why can't you guys get together like that, you know? And I think that's a question that could be asked of many churches today, of our church today. I wonder what would happen if we could get together and rally around faith in Jesus Christ and rally around the cause of Jesus Christ. What want you to think of that. Authentic faith is seen in our consistent life. It's seen in our, in our cooperative service. But finally today, I want us to see this. Authentic faith is seen in our courage. These final verses really make such great sense to me, and so many lives are lives that are held captive by fear. But Paul helps us to see that fear is the one thing that can, or faith rather, it's the one thing that can hold fear captive. You can, you can hold that fear captive. I've never yet met a person controlled by fear who had great joy. Never. Never. Ever. Not one time. No exceptions. I've never known anybody in life who is held captive by fear, who is experiencing great joy because the two are simply incompatible. And so Paul says here, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. He, He was saying in that statement this. He was saying, don't be shocked that you have opponents in your life. Don't be shocked by what the adversaries in your life bring your way. Some have the idea that the Christian life is supposed to be some battle-free zone. That's not true. Somebody could say, but pastor, I heard another pastor saying that we could be healthy, wealthy, and always wise if we just believe the right way and long enough and do this and do that and send in an offering and all these other things. And I want you to know, if you've heard anybody suggest to you that the Christian life is anything other than spiritual warfare, they were dishonest with you. They may not have known themselves, but they did not communicate the truth. Because a great analogy used in Scripture, refer to the Christian life, is that of warfare. That's it. In fact, the pep talk in in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, that Jesus gave to a group of 70 he sent out was this. Here's how he got them fired up to serve him. This is Jesus' pep talk. You're going to be like lambs before wolves. Jesus said, let me just shoot straight with you. Life's not always easy. It is tough. Now, it is always best when lived for Jesus Christ. But Paul said, you need to understand, sometimes things are going to happen and you just can't get shocked out of your mind every time an adversity situation blows into your your life. That happens. Look, you you could do right every day, every day, every day, and have a difficult situation. It's not shocking. It's it's the nature of life. It's the way it goes. In fact, Jesus, he, he really was very crystal clear on this. John chapter 16, he said this, in the world, how many of you are in the world? the same number of those who were born of woman, right? Okay, Jesus here, he's kind of, kind of all-inclusive. Everybody? Okay, all of you people on planet Earth, you shall have tribulation. And that word shall, it is more emphatic than the word will. He says, hey, let me tell you something. You will, no doubt about it, have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The battles we face in our lives of faith, they, they don't negate the presence of God. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. The battles we have in our faith lives—they don't negate the presence of God in your life. In fact, many times the difficulties through which we're going validate the reality of God's presence in our lives. I just love that thought. I know you're thinking, "Well, Pastor, if you could prove that, that'd be that would be a great thought." But I, I don't know if that's true or not. Let me tell you something: it absolutely is. It's a reality. The difficulties we go through don't mean God's not there. And many times the hard things we go through are evidence that God actually in reality is there. Paul says, "Let me help you out." In verse 29, he elaborates on this, and he says this. He says, "For unto you." Now stop. Who's Paul writing to? Philippi. All right. What's Philippi? It's a church. A requisite of membership in a church family is salvation. I want this to be clear in your heart and mind. Paul is writing to people of faith who are attending a church. They're in a church service. Someone's reading this letter. And Paul says to you Christians who are even faithful to church, you good people that love the Lord, you need to know something. He said, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him. If you're thankful for salvation, say amen. Amen. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's given to you to believe, but also to suffer for His sake. Paul says this is part of it. It's part of the journey. It's given our trials are many times gifts from God to allow us to grow in faith, to allow us to show our faith. But there's another aspect of this. Paul closed his words by saying this. He said, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. He said, you guys in that church, you're having conflicts. You see that I'm having conflicts. You've, you've heard about it. and you, you see it in my life. You're having a conflict, and I'm having a conflict. You're in a tough time, and I'm in a tough time. And sometimes we say misery loves company, and that's not exactly what Paul was saying here, but he was saying this, be encouraged. You're not the only one to be going through a tough time. You're not the only one to have a broken heart. You're not the only one to be stressed out. You're not the only one to be unemployed. You're not the only one to be wondering about this or that or the other. And and Paul is saying, hey, there is some encouragement to be had in realizing that all of us go through things. But when we understand we're the body of Christ and we're serving Jesus Christ together, Paul says, here I am. I'm sitting away in an imprisoned situation, but I can write a letter to encourage you in your difficult times. And Paul said, just know when you're doing what you're supposed to do where you are, it's encouraging me in my situation. Look, we all go through things but it's encouraging when we know that we we're in it together not long ago Lisa and I had a great privilege and opportunity to travel to Romania speak to a group of of course Romanian pastors and then in addition to that there were many missionaries I believe from 12 or 14 different countries that came in for the meeting and and it was a privilege and an honor to represent Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And to represent Coastline Baptist Church, you people. And to go to a place where I'd never been. To stand before some choice servants of our Lord. And, and to try and encourage them. It was an honor and, and it was a blessing. But it was a really long trip. And, and so, you know, it, it started by basically missing a night's sleep. You, you run to the airport on the night. And you, you, you fly through the night and they had us seated on on buckets in the back you know with ropes tied around us for seat belts and goats and chickens it wasn't that bad but you sit there and it's it's miserable right is it a joy and a privilege yeah am I complaining well kind of but not really just hear me through so you, you you know you get there and and eat stuff you wouldn't ordinarily eat and and you just get exhausted and burn out and you're just running from this to that and and you finally get there and they don't say we're so glad you're here why don't you just take a day to unwind and rest they don't say that they say we're so glad you're here it starts in 15 minutes do you need anything and uh, I'm like yes coffee just coffee grounds would be fine you know I'll just (laughs) just chew them coffee grounds and uh, we, we got into Romania and uh, that that Sunday we we got there. The meeting wasn't to start until Monday, and so Sunday we were just teaching, preaching. I mean, it was just all day long, and and we haven't slept now in I don't know how many days. I think it was like three days of time, but only two nights, and I don't know how that works. But so Sunday, man, it was just pedal to the metal. Um, Monday morning we get up and the conferences to begin, and I'm just tired. Savvy? Tired? Can you hear me knocking? And uh, went to take a shower that never did warm up. Now, there are cold showers, and then there are Romanian cold showers, okay? <laughs> and uh, I don't speak Romanian, but I was in the shower that morning. I was saying a few words that, that uh, I, I didn't know. They had to be been interpreted for me, I guess. And Very cold. And I'm ashamed to even tell this to you, but a- after I, I got you know long johns and all all the layers i could get on to get in the car for the hour drive to this place i wasn't having the joy of the lord that morning (laughs) some of you are surprised that a guy speaking on joy for 12 weeks would confess to it but i was tired and it just i wasn't feeling very joyous had a rough trip worn out hadn't eaten very good cold shower And then I met one of the men who came to the conference. He was a missionary from Russia who drove 24 straight hours to come hear me say something, among other things. 24 hours of driving. Um, He didn't get a shower, not even a cold one he didn't get to spread out on a bed and stretch out i don't know what he ate but i'm sure whatever i ate was probably superior to what he would get at a road stop along the way now listen in that moment i felt about that big i thought what kind of a guy am i i'm blessed to come to this place i've never been here before and to represent jesus christ who i love above all and to Represent our church family and minister to missionaries some of God's choice servants and here I am having a bad attitude because I'm super tired and 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 all the rest of it and and here's this man that went through what he had been through and his presence there uh, Encouraged me and as I was encouraged. I was in time to say some things that encouraged him In fact, I got a letter from from him saying that I, I I had encouraged him I want to ask you a question today, and I want you to answer this in your heart. Not out loud, of course. I want you to answer this in your heart. Does your life become the gospel? Is it becoming of you? If if you stood in the midst of your peers and professed your love, your faith in, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ, would it match what they have seen? of you are you becoming of that message of salvation i think that's a question that we would all do well to answer does your life fit your message does your message fit your life when you struggle with joy it's always a good thing to understand that an authentic faith is central to it all it's an authentic faith that will lead us to consistent life to cooperative life and to courageous life Authentic faith leads the way to joy in the life of a Christian. When I started this morning, I told you about a building I'd seen near my grandparents' place. You Remember the grandiose facade out front and basically the metal barn out back? When I was in Romania where I met that missionary who drove, our meeting was held in one place in in a Christian college there, an amazing property, but the the Sunday meeting was held at the Tyler's Church, and they're missionaries that we support. They're missionaries every month as we give to missions. We send uh, our support to missionaries around the world. The Tyler's are missionaries we support, and, and they are able through th- those gifts to sustain themselves. And as the families there give of offerings, they work together, and they've been able to get a property in Romania uh, where this church could have a permanent situation and the building i saw in romania was the exact opposite of the one that i saw in colorado I pulled up out front, and as you can see there, it's, it's got a very humble entrance. It's got a very humble sign. In fact, the building used to be a place where cars were repaired, and, and so there's just kind of a sliding garage door out front. And you drive into like a carport area, and you look at the front, and it's very humble. It's very modest. It's not grandiose. It's not flashy. It's, it's probably something that they'll even improve in time. But we, we walked there, and, and we saw this humble entrance. But as you walked in, you began to see the work they're doing on the property. And you began to see the construction and the deeper you walked the property just seemed to go on and on and on And it was very clean and it was and i'm interested in that And it was very well organized and i'm interested in that And it was filled with christians that you could tell were just so excited about what god was Doing in their lives and they were thankful for the church that they had and this church that was really quite humble in the front The more you walked into it the deeper it went and the better it was and that's how I want my life to be humble but when people get to know me they see a depth and a sincerity and an authenticity that's an encouragement to them i don't want to be all flash up front with no substance i I want when people see me to see jesus christ in me that's how i want my life to be and that's that's my prayer for your life and that's my desire for our lives collectively as a church family. Now again, you, you know, we want to do everything we can with excellence for the glory of God, but, but we want to make sure if there's anything showy that it's lifting up Jesus, not people. It's lifting up Christ. Humble people with the joy of the Lord, serving others. That, that's an authentic faith, life, and action. I wonder, does your life become the gospel? Would you all be so kind as to join me in standing, and we'll think.